What drives you to write, Spencer? Uh, I don't know, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably he explains a lot. Well, I know you were wondering what drives Alan Moore to write. I, yes, I, I am. Well, let's just listen to the man himself. The three things that most fuel my creativity would be my vain desire never to be bested in the act of writing by a single other human being. Beyond that, it would be tea and, of course, biscuits, particularly those half chocolate ones with a cow on the back. He is so grizzled. (laughs) (laughs) After I watched that, uh, because Ashley sent me that, I looked up Alan Moore Young, thinking, oh, he had to be a young man once. (laughs) No. He looked like a fucking wild bushman. Like, his hair was always big and bushy, and he's just weird looking. He's a strange individual, but I I did like that his drive, besides the biscuits and the tea, his drive to write was to just be better than everyone. And I'm just, like, when I read his work, I'm like, hmm. I mean, I can see it, but what is his definition of better? Yeah, like what? Is, what does he think see, makes I think him better? More, like more pretentious than any other, you know, writer. Does he think that being overly complex makes you a great writer? Uh, being difficult to read makes you uh the best writer. Does he? I, I mean, I know he's a big fan of uh James Joyce and Finnegan's Wake and all that nonsense. Very so I'm just assuming wor- wordy yeah. things. Yeah, he's very verbose. So I'm assuming that uh that's his barometer of great writing. Oh, if he's a James Joyce fan, could you imagine if like in in vain he had his own uh, Adam had his own fart <laughs> uh, like poetry? Erotic. Yeah. It was it was letters, Spencer. They weren't all about farts, just the one or two of them. The ones we read. Uh, James Joyce's erotic letters, real life letters to his, uh, not wife at the time, but just Mrs. Uh, his significant other, I guess. Yeah, well, Alan Moore is a wizard who's like having three ways and having goats and stuff. So I don't, who knows? He's probably even worse stuff than uh, Mary Chipper Little Toots or whatever uh, Joyce was saying. Wow, what was I? Every time I think of that, I just think about the lady pooping in the <laughs> closet that he wanted to see. He's like, and the rightly filth excreting from your backside. <laughs> I don't know why I made him Scottish there. Uh, <laughs> like, what you need to do is you just need to, uh, as you get ready to dive in that, just clip that out and actually put the clip from the episode oh, in there. <laughs> I don't remember what episode that was from. That was way back. I think we dedicated a whole episode to that. Well, folks, if that's an episode, I'm sure the topic will be... It'll have James Joyce in the title, so yeah. you just find it. It's it's great just because uh, I read his letters, and it's... I think we did it twice. Oh, yeah. One, we just mentioned it and kind of read them, but then another time, I read, like, the whole letter, or multiple letters. Again, his writing, way better than mine, but the subject matter, <laughs> that's uh, up for taste, I guess. Maybe not taste mm. is the right word for the, uh, the old Mary Chipper... What was it like? The merry little cracks. And he, like, yeah. he went on with all these things about the farts. He was like the merry little cracks and the the poofy whipper woos. Like I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? Could you just imagine him like now with the internet mm. and the things he could look, look up and find? He'd probably be. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't know. Could you the, the the message boards or the comment section? And there's, there's this huge <laughs> fucking just comment. I. <laughs> I feel like he would be a, a fan of the German genres of uh, pornography, uh, going by the, the those letters. Yeah, so anyway, uh, I thought that was interesting. Alan Moore, uh, that's his barometer for being the best. Is uh, Well, that's his barometer for what... 
That's what drives the man. He wants to fucking kill all other writers verbally or on the pen and page. I'm just surprised he was out doing a thing, like an interview kind of thing. That's his uh, class that he has, oh, that, that maestro okay. class. I'm thinking about getting that. It looks like it's interesting. It's like 90 bucks or something. Uh, but it's, I think it's like six hours. I was going to say it's probably, it's Alan Moore's size, I assume. So I don't know if I could look at him for that long. Like we had trouble. <laughs> I don't want to hate on the man or anything. Um, when we watched the Walter Mosley Masterclass, I found myself distracted because he was very colorful in his clothing choices. And then he just like looking at him. <laughs> he's just uh, like, because he's like in the 70s or something. He just has an odd look to him. We just kept, I don't know. I just kept I, staring at him. For me, it was more the, the, the outfit, the clothing yeah, choices. Yeah, well, it just did not, like, the way he looks does not look like that's the clothes he should be wearing, like neon hats and stuff. It was weird. Uh, so I was distracted by that. So I can't imagine if I watched the Alan Moore one, like how grizzled he is. I would f- Even that clip, I was just like, this guy is bizarre. Put like uh, Bluetooth it to like speakers and listen to it as you chop wood. <laughs> chopping wood. Because <laughs> that's what I do all day is chopping wood. I just sit here in my backyard and chop wood, Spencer. God, you made me sound so much manlier than I am. Well, just what I'm saying. That would help with the, oh. the grizzly factor. Like, you know. I think there's two kinds of grizzly. There's rugged grizzly like outdoor woodsman, and then there's homeless grizzly. <laughs> yeah, like a messy grizzly. Yeah, I think Alan Moore is more towards the messed out homeless oh, yeah. look than he is uh, the uh, outdoor man. <laughs> He's bearded, but not in the good way. <laughs> Welcome to the Drunken Penwriting Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me, as always, Spencer, the Chunky Chumba Wumba from Chad Church. That one was a little mouthy, but... I landed on Chad on the globe when I spun it, and that's a... I don't know what a Chad person from the Republic of Chad is called. Chadian? Chatterer? I like Chatterer. Chadnosian? Reminds me of a Cenobite. <clears throat> Chad Dozian. I may forget what we're talking about today. You know what we're going to talk about? No. Chad. Uh, Chad Wazian. I don't know. Apparently, people have been enjoying the episodes we do where I just bring up a random kind of topic and we've been talking about them. Uh, so I figured uh do another one of those last week. Give the people what they want. Yeah, that always works out. Uh, last week, we talked about death. Yes. Which I thought, oh, that was an awful episode, but apparently people liked it. They they found it somewhat useful. We got a couple of messages of, hey, keep it up. Uh, you know. Oh, that's good. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Those are good. Uh, so today I figured we could talk about, well, it's not the opposite of death. That'd be life. It has nothing to do with death. We're going to talk about honesty, Spencer. Honesty. Honesty. Are you an honest man? Do an honest day's work? I mean, hey, now. like, <laughs> like, that's the hey, like Well, to be more specific. <laughs> Uh, this will I'm gonna gear this like we always do towards writing. So this would be more about being honest with yourself and your work. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a few ways you could do this, but one of the things I mean when I say be honest and be honest in your work is like when writers put themselves in the work. So I think of like uh, Confessions of a Mask by Yukio Mishima, where it the protagonist of the novel is dealing with their sexuality as a young man and things like that, and that's actually like a direct autobiographical reflection of Yukio Mishima's life. But it's in fiction form. A more 
modern example that I think you can get behind would be uh, Stephen King's The Shining because Jack Torrance and his crazy alcoholism is yeah. kind of reflection of the author at the time. So he's, you put your yourself in your work and you have to be kind of honest with how you do that because it's easy to put like the alcoholic crazy character in the novel. But when you have personal experience with that and you actually fight those demons, mm-hmm. well, then that work is going to be more personal and that's going to go across to the reader. Like the reader will be like, damn. He, like, really knows his shit. Well, yeah. Yeah, he he went through it, yeah. Exactly. Uh, And he's done that in a couple other things, like Pet Cemetery, the fear of losing a child and things like that. Um, Yeah, a lot of his work. That's why you find a lot of his novels are writers, because he's a writer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Huruki Mirakami does that, too. A lot of his uh, protagonists are pretty much just himself. Um, But when you put yourself in the work, it's hard not to be genuine. When you tell a story like that, even, like, with Revival... The character, he was like a heroin addict, but you can still kind of see Stephen King in that because one, the addiction factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he, he, he was, he had trouble with coke too, so it wasn't yeah. like just alcoholic, it was hard drugs as well. And then the character was in a band and then mm-hmm. aged. Like when I read that, I just felt like, oh, this almost seems like Stephen King's life slightly. Like obviously it's all fictional, but. Just the character, you could kind of feel like instances in that book where it's like, oh, Stephen King might actually went through some of this or he experienced it and then just turned it to make it a fictional account on somebody else. But I, I really like those kind of works. And uh, every time I come across, like Yuki Omisha is good for it. He's always putting himself in his work. Uh, like I mentioned, Haruki Mirakami. As fantastical as the stories are, you can always tell. <laughs> like, even got the feeling just when we did those Mirakami minutes with the short mm-hmm. stories, he's like, is this protagonist just Mirakami? Right. <laughs> Especially when they mostly don't have any names most of the time. Yeah. But just to reiterate, I feel if you're honest with your work and what you're writing about, it's hard not to be genuine. Uh, And that's going to come across to the readers. Uh, Because when you get an author who's just writing about something they have no experience in, uh, say you have some weird, uh, I don't know, one of them straight edge people who's never done anything, but they're writing about drugs and like uh, fucking addicts and stuff. They're probably going to come from a very biased perspective where those characters are just going to come off as fully unlikable because that's probably how the straight-edge person would view this. Like, oh, why are you doing drugs? How do you get addicted? Just quit. So I could imagine that would be uh, disingenuous. So you, like, the reader probably wouldn't like those books. And I've read some books like that where I go into it and I was like, I don't think the author knows what the fuck they're talking about. Well, and too, like, if, if you never had a drink and then you try to write about it, you don't know, like how bad that first that those first couple gulps burn until mm-hmm. you until your throat goes numb or you know what i mean how the smoke uh can you know burns the inside of your nose you know yeah. and, and stuff like that you don't have those details that the people you're going off of secondhand accounts yeah that then the people who do who do who have done that stuff you know and if you don't know what you're talking about it doesn't like you said it doesn't connect with them because they mm. know that you're not you're just kind of bullshitting you don't have an accurate account yeah and like, when you think of it that way i mean if you're a good enough writer you could still make it work oh yeah obviously yeah you know we were not flying through space and fighting aliens and cormac mccarthy and he wasn't around in mexico killing people like yeah, maybe well in the 1800s anyway <laughs> unless he's a time traveler or you know one of them immortal types god i hope not uh, <laughs> but just just say you know you got the, those guys like they're good enough writer you're gonna still make it well, well done and people are gonna like it well, that's like we've talked about uh, Andy Weir's books. Yeah. The, you know, he was an actual, I don't know what 
the actual thing. Some sort that, of scientist. Yeah, scientist. Or physicist or something. Something like that. A very smart dude. Whenever his his sci his science and his sci fi were really uh he could uh translate that very easily. Like mm-hmm. he was able to do it in a way to where it made sense, but it seemed like it would still work. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. So well, I think this also falls under the category of why you see a lot of hate towards. Like, and I've been seeing this a lot with uh, can't name the book, but it was a uh, a young white woman wrote a novel and it was very popular, and I it might even won some awards and stuff. But I think it was about like a Mexican woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it was had to do with going through like you know illegally coming to America. It was like one of those issues. Where we wouldn't probably touch it, but I can see if you think of it through that, le- like look through that lens of this person never had anything close to these experiences, and while they might be able to write these stories well, like if you're coming in it just as a reader, uh, and you know the author has never experienced anything like that or that kind of racism or anything, you might get kind of turned off or not even want to read it. And I can understand that. Uh, it used to be like I'd probably be like, oh. That's that's poo poo. Like you know, people can write about whatever they want to write about, but that doesn't mean it's going to be genuine. Yeah, because I've read novels where, um, like written by white male authors who write about like I can't name it. Fuck, I'm missing all the names of books lately. It was about how they brought Asians over to build the railroad systems in the United States back in like seventeen eighteen hundreds, and it was basically slavery. And it was very well written, and I didn't like. I read that when I was a kid, so I didn't even know like the author. Yeah. Like I didn't think anything of that. But like, if I read that now, though, I might be like, I mean, this guy's just going by historical accounts. But that's not something like he would ever experience. Like, if you did like a modern day version of that, even if like let's say you're talking about like in China, where people were forced to work in these factories and they had the suicide nets and shit. Well, I would imagine like an affluent white person from Beverly Hills probably shouldn't be writing about that. It uh, doesn't mean you can't. It just means it's probably not going to come across genuine. But like I said, if you're a good enough writer, you can get it to work no matter what. Well, I didn't say then that also goes into a whole nother can of worms that we've talked about before of like what can or can't somebody write or can't write because of, you know, whatever mm. sex, you know, gender, right, you know, race. Yeah, because once you go down that, yeah, once you open that can of worms, then that's, all that's of a That's a whole different episode, but I just want to, you know... Well, then, then you're throw getting... That, throw that a little bit in there, because that, that's also, like, yeah. the other side of the coin to that kind of stuff. But again, as you said, good enough writer, because, I mean, like, Stephen King, he's wrote some characters, you know, African-American characters dealing that will have, you know, that have to, de- that had to deal with being, or, you know, John Coffey from, yeah. from, uh, Green Mile. from the Green Mile, you know what I mean? So, well, we're seeing this in the acting world a lot lately too, is, I don't know, necessarily call them fans, but just the people who are going to watch the movies when they hear about a casting of certain characters, getting an uproar because this person isn't really handicapped. He's playing a person in a wheelchair. Uh, this person, autistic is a big one. Like they want autistic actors or transgendered actors or blind actors or whatever it may be. And it's almost like you're forgetting it's acting. Yeah. Because a lot of times too, I'm like, when it comes into those really strangers, I'm like, how many are those of that certain thing? Not a lot. That, that are, that want to be actors. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you could probably find somebody if you're just looking for some extras in a movie. Well, that's when you get something. kind of the Peter Dinklage thing though. I mean, he doesn't want to be typecast as uh, playing small people roles, yeah. but for a while he was, and you know, most small actors uh, go through that. But it's like if you wanted a really good actor who's supposed to play a small person, <laughs> you were very limited mm-hmm. on your choices 
uh, because there's probably just not that many really good actors who are small people because one, you know, acting is one of those things you have to practice yeah, and you, how you're going to practice a lot if nobody's you, hiring you. You got Peter Dinklage and the, uh, what's his face from Seinfeld? Nikki? Oh, uh, I don't remember his name. We had, I can't remember the actor's actual name, but uh, because he would always hang out with Kramer in those, in the later seasons. Did he play Leprechaun? Warwick Davis? Is that who you're thinking of or is it another guy? I don't know. I wasn't a big Leprechaun It doesn't matter. Guy. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But anyway, uh, trying to go back to the topic here. That goes kind of with my next point, actually, which is when you're talking about being honest with yourself, you have to know your limitations. And things such as the subject matter of your stories could be a big limitation. And then in a broader sense, your actual writing ability. Oh, yep. I was gonna, that was going to be something I brought up. Or I was going to ask you about if you... Well, I go through that a lot where I have a big grandiose idea of a story I want to write or in a certain way I want to write it. And then when I start, I usually fairly quickly hit a stopping point where I'm like, I'm not good enough yet for this. Yeah. I don't have the required skills to fucking tackle this one. So it's got to go on the back burner. And you hear a lot of famous authors talk about the book that they were sitting on for 20 years because they just mm. were not able to write it yet. I think you mentioned before uh, Stephen King um, was it Under the Dome. Yeah, he was had, one he couldn't write until he he just wasn't good enough. Yeah, yet. he like wrote like the first couple of stories like decades ago, and and then he's just like it was like you said he just couldn't tackle it. It was mm. too grand. He just he he couldn't. So yeah, it's set forever until he could you know until he felt, felt like he was ready for it. Understanding your limitations is a hard thing for people. I feel. Because it's almost like admitting that you're not good enough. But the, here's the thing. You're always going to be bad at something mm -hmm. and you can get better. And even if you're great, that doesn't mean you're going to be great at all aspects of whatever you're doing. Uh, you see a lot of authors who are super famous, who are really great, but they always have a weakness. Uh, whether it's somebody who sucks at writing women characters whether it's somebody like Haruki Murakami who's not very good at sex scenes. Mm. Or like there's all, there's always a limitation. Bad endings. Yeah, and a lot of successful authors, they just know the limitations, so they'll either avoid doing the thing that they're not very good at. Was it like Rob Liefeld won't draw feet? <laughs> there's a lot that but yeah, yeah. Like, I mean he draws them but like not really. Yeah. Um, the ankles or oh, covers man. up people's waist with bags like the <laughs> Yeah, uh, because, you know, he's not good. Whatever. Extra finger on their hand. Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, you have to know your limitations, but you have to admit when your limitations are something that maybe you can't overcome, or if you can overcome it, it's going to take a lot of work, and it might not be worth it, depending on what it is. Like I said about the sex scene, you might not write the kind of fiction that really needs mm -hmm. sex scenes, so if you're not that good at them, it doesn't really matter. Like a Haruki Murakami and Stephen King, their books probably don't really, like if they have a bad sex scene in them, it probably doesn't really matter. And I know a lot of those books that I've read with those kind of scenes. It's like, you probably could have just left that out. And, and two, now, like, you know, the people that are reading those books, they know at that time. It's almost kind of like, you know, it's like when you go to a movie and there's like a certain actor or a director or something like, you know, like, ah, that's good. This movie's going to have a little of this in it. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So it's like whenever you're reading a Stephen King book and you can, you know, tell there's a sex scene that's about to go on, you're just like, well, all right, this would be like a fun page, to, you yeah. know, fun page or so to read. And there's limitations, too, or like a thing where sometimes you don't realize you have them, like certain ones, until you, you get to until it. Until you reach it, yeah. For instance, if, uh, like, we talked about the sex scene, that's just the easy one. You might not know you're bad at writing a sex scene until you write your first sex scene. You're like, ah, oh, shit, I suck at this. Or uh, 
building romantic chemistry in a story. Uh, some people are very bad at dialogue, but are great at the like the narration and stuff. Uh, some people, vice versa. I think I am pretty good at dialogue, but my pacing uh, is something I can work on. I, I still feel like I still get that urge where it's like I need to vary my sentences more. Like, I feel like it's not I don't know if it's a limitation, but I just I, too much uniform like writing sometimes where it's like, why do I keep having the same four sentence structure to my paragraphs? I need I need a long one. We talked about this before. Uh, but you know, just those kind of things. Uh, but those are like the ones you can overcome, you know, with just a little bit of practice. Uh, but some of them, uh, people just like you just don't get it. I know even with me sometimes, whenever like if I if I try to do something with an accent, like I normally don't do it because it's like in my head I know how it sounds and how I want it to be, but it's like I don't know how to accurately put that down on yeah. paper so that the reader knows to read it like that you know what yeah. i mean that 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 i have trouble with that kind of stuff well i know even like uh something that we both have uh been pushing patch that we had uh, that we both had issues with you know early on and you know not even you know a couple years ago was the like the length of our stories yeah but uh, both of us have been um expanding and telling like you know bigger and longer stories to where you know before like a couple thousand words and it was just like i can't do anymore and like you know this i'm like i can't think of anything else to like try to stretch this stretch this out or well that's another thing that people have trouble admitting is maybe they're not meant to be a novelist maybe they're just better as a short story writer short story writer or vice versa some people maybe they're very good at writing poetry but can't write prose to save their life maybe don't just don't that if you know like like, if you go with the short stories and, like, but you're going to try to write the novel, know that, like, it's probably going to take you longer to write your novel than you may, you know, the next guy. Because it's like, you're, uh, if you're just good at the short stories, but if you do, like, a short stories worth every each session, it's like, you'll get to your novel. You just have to know that it's going to probably take you a little bit longer than maybe what, than what you want. But if you stick with it and be consistent, that you will, you know... You just might not get it as quick as as you would like you would like to. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you have to understand that there is also a limit. Like, there's a limit to what you can accomplish in specific time frames. Whereas I feel like six months to eight months is a great time. Like, that'd be perfect for me to write a novel, first draft, and maybe even start on the second draft. You know, get it fairly polished. You know, someone else, it's a year or a year and a half. Um, some people could, as we know, write a novel every fucking month somehow. I don't <laughs> get that, man. But like, you just, you have to know your limitations also when it comes to, t- you can't be like, hey, I'm going to write this novel in three months and then just fucking hate yourself when you don't even get halfway there, even though you've been trying really hard, because maybe that's just not your writing type. Like, you're not that kind of writer. You can't just binge write and really knock out that kind of work. And Because, like, even my novel I'm writing now, I, I keep hitting parts where it drags a lot longer than I anticipated. Not the actual chapter, but just me writing that mm-hmm. chapter. It's just more difficult for some reason, or I can't find the right words the, the way I want to express the story in that specific, uh, specific instance. And it's almost like the painter, sometimes the picture just comes out to him right away. And it's like, Oh, that's what I want to draw. I want to paint it like this. And they just get it, you know, first shot. 
Other times they start, throw it away, start, like, you know, just it's it's creativity is one of those things. It's never uniform. It's never just like you could do it easily all the time or you struggle all the time. It's just it varies. Well, I don't know about you, but there's like the majority of my writing time is me spending like five minutes looking at the screen until I can figure out like the one right word or the right, right, the, the right way to like do this sentence that I'm working on and then like I do that and then like next thing I know there's like almost like another 100 or 150 words yeah. like right after you know right after that until you hit the like the next little pothole where I just kind of sit there for like five minutes just trying to to like work it over in my in my head mm. or whatever what I find works best for me is to just keep writing uh just go through it so if I hit a snag like say, like, cause normally when I'm writing, at least I know where the part of the story's going. I just have to get there. So whether it's dialogue or just like you know, like a scene outside or something, and then I have to end the scene inside, I might have trouble figuring out how to do the transition. Sometimes it's best just to do it, and so it's like, oh, outside talking, like, and then they walked inside, and then just worry about that in the second draft. Yeah. Uh, just you know, even if you have to, uh, cause I know a guy that did hair of the dog. I remember him mentioning a couple times on Twitter that what he likes to do is he just uses placeholders. So when he's writing dialogue or whatever, action, anything, sometimes he'll just be like, adjective goes here. Find better verb here. Just put like a random, like in parentheses, placeholder for that just to keep going. Hmm. You can tell the story instead of getting hung up on the specifics. Well, that's even like uh, in the story that I'm working on, there's a part of a scene where the guy has to like change his clothes and I have him grabbing clothes like off the rack and stuff. He's just kind of grabbing stuff and he, and he dots into the changing room and then he changes in there. But I haven't really figured out how I want him to look at. So I just put in big, in big, uh, bold, uh, bold words paragraph about what he's wearing <laughs> i've and done then, that before and then just got and just gone back onto the thing and i was like oh that's gonna be the next draft <laughs> yeah I, i've done that a lot too uh in my longer stories where it's just like blocks like not very important so this is just gonna be like you know talk about how he looks in this specific paragraph here's a here's a this is a side topic i find that i get bogged down on this sometimes i don't know if you usually it's in those like when i'm really tired where I find I'm going two step by step with what I'm doing. Mm. So say somebody's like, I don't know, going to just sit on the bed. I'll be like, oh, he sits on the bed. And then he puts his feet up on the bed. And then he lays down. And like, why? A lot of times with that, the uh, lease can be more. And yeah. then that gives the reader like room to imagine more. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if you've ever come across that where you're just trying to write a scene. And then you just realize, like, why am I describing all those extra steps? Like, what? It doesn't matter. Uh, like, somebody's, oh, he's getting, ch- like, a, getting changed is a good one because it's like, oh, you know, he puts on his pants and then he puts on his sh- shoes and socks and shirt and whatever. Like, you go each article of clothing. Why? Just say he got fucking dressed. Especially and then that, describe what he's wearing later. Uh, yeah, I mean, unless if somehow if you need to describe, like, if maybe if he's putting on a uniform, yeah. maybe, or something like that, but... Uh, or if it's like a kind of like a Patrick Bateman, American Psycho, like you need the detail of him going through this unimportant thing, like his uh, what was it? His like exercise and face wash routine and stuff. It because it shows you what kind of person they are. So maybe if you show somebody like he puts on his left sock and he straightens it just so, and he puts on his right, like 
it would seem boring, but the fact that you're going detail by detail, socks, sock, pants, then fucking belt and shirt, like you go like that, it shows they're very meticulous. Yeah, it's uh, a character trade. Yeah, but that's to be used purposefully. But I, and I get this a lot of submissions I read where people, uh, one person I, I rejected and I actually sent him uh, in the reply, I was like, you need to make this flow better because like you literally described and then she came up to the doorstep. She turned the doorknob. She pushed the door in and walked inside. And then she closed the door behind her with a click. And then she took two steps forward. And then she looked around the room. Holy fuck, bro. This is going to take eight hours just to mm. get her to meet the first person in this house. Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, it might even sound good if you write it well enough, but it's fucking pointless. Just get on. He walked inside the house and then he found Sharon. I always, uh, I try to keep in the back of my mind. You know, I've read and, like, seen, you know, so much stuff about uh, comic book writers and, like, their process and stuff. And one of the things that they always talk about early on is, like, whenever they're writing the script for the artists and stuff is, like, they have, like, three things happening in this panel. It's like, no, you had, like, only one thing. And, yeah. like, if he's going to get a bowl of cereal, he can only be getting up in this panel. He can't be getting up walking over and grabbing the bowl yeah, in one yeah. panel. So, like, uh, I always kind of try to keep that kind of thing as, as well, like, when I'm describing things, like, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, In my stories of, uh, you know, you got just simple... Uh, so well, that's that a really interesting way to look at it because if I go back to the example of the person walking in the house, if you broke that down in comic book form and then each one of those actions was a panel, well, then now you have them... You show you show them walk up to the front door. Next panel, turning the doorknob. Next panel, walking, taking a step inside. Yeah. Next panel, closing the door. That would be so many panels and just to show that, all that. To, to uh, call back for a call back to the earlier in the episode, that's very Alan Moore. Yeah, fifty panels a page or something ridiculous. That's a good way. That's a really good way to uh, look at that. I'm gonna start thinking like that when I'm writing. Is like, how would this fit on a comic book page? Mm. Uh, because comic books, that's the one thing where that art really succeeds is you have to push the story forward mm -hmm. because it's a visual story. You can't, I mean, you can, if you want to just be muddled in one room or in just showing like the same things, but that's going to be very boring. It's visual and you only have, you only have so many pages. You yeah. only have 22 pages to tell whatever you want to get across that issue. It'd be very succinct and it's very difficult for a lot of writers uh, even very successful authors who try their hand at uh, comic book writing often fail because they don't know how to tell a story, which seems like it would be very simple because, oh, I don't need a lot of... Because people are like, why do the comic book writers make you know this amount of money when it's the artist who's really doing all the work? Because you ever try to tell a story when you only got allotted maybe 200 sentences you can use for the whole thing or something like that? Uh, because a lot of the comics that have like the like Alan Moore style big blocks exposition pages... Uh, unless you're telling like a Watchmen type story, usually those don't work out so well. I always feel, and then too, like I always feel bad for the writers because I also hear like you know, or for the artists, I got all this going on. There's gonna be so many word balloons, and like I don't want to cover up the guy's art. Yeah, like he's making this beautiful artwork, and we're just gonna cover it up with my fucking word word balloons filled with my words. Like, well, then are you really that good of a writer because you need all those words when you should be able to tell the artist how to draw it? Well, not how to draw, but you know, like I want it drawn this way. So I don't have to say all this. Mm -hmm. It just it'll show, you know, the show. Not to tell them, got to show it. That's why I think a lot, like you were saying, that novelists are um uh, have trouble getting going to the uh, comic medium. But I find like the 
comic book writers that have done the novels, mm-hmm. like because I'm that uh, ninth metal that I'm reading that ben, Benjamin Percy. Now he's had he's had like multiple books and stuff out novels out, but he's also a comic uh, writer too. And I feel like he, you know, he's able to do both, and I yeah. feel like that helps. Um, his his work in the comics help you know help his novel. Well, that's why uh, I always tell people, like, if you're not going to be a comic book writer, just start with short stories or flash fiction. And uh, we talked about this in the past where I, a couple of times I got absolutely eviscerated uh, on Twitter for saying, I think people should write short stories or start flash fiction, work your way up short stories, then novels, not just jump straight into novels. And a lot of people really, really got on me about that because they, because well, that's what they did is just jump straight to novels, but they don't want to be honest with themselves and admit that, you know, learning the ropes and learning how to tell a, a story quickly and succinctly is better for you in the long run than it is just to skip straight to, I'm going to tell these very long, grand stories. Especially if you're having difficulties. Now, you might be some uh, prodigy or, you know, savant who's like, it's, you know, first time sitting down at the keyboard and they was able to do a couple thousand words yeah. like no, like no problem at all. You know what I mean? But like if you're having those troubles and issues, it's definitely the way that you were saying is, is the way to well, it's We do the same dumb sports analogies all the time. If you've never benched before, you wouldn't start with like three forty fives on each side. Yeah. No, you're going to go with the bar with like maybe 10 or 15 pounds on it. To you can Work get your it, way up. Yeah. So you can get a good form. Well, also to know your limitations. Yeah. It's the same with writing. If you think, hey, I like reading a lot. Maybe I'm going to try my hand at writing. I'm going to write a novel. You're most likely not going to do very well or you're going to fail if you never wrote anything really before because you're just jumping into the deep end. You're trying you know, to bench 315 when you never benched at all. You could be one of those people who are freak strong who just happens to be able to do it, but most likely you're going to crush your fucking neck. So what you should, in my opinion, do is learn how to tell a story first and uh, figure out what your limitations are. The easiest way to do that for, you know, for me anyway, was to learn how to write short stories and then figure out, oh, I'm not so good at this or I'm not that good at this. Uh, versus if you're trying to write a whole novel and then you're finding out you're not good at certain things, like that's probably just going to derail you and you're going to quit. I and, and then the like, little sidebar here, I wish there was more short fiction out out there like you know that's not like a really big market you have like some of the bigger authors they can put out a book of their short stories just because they have a fan base that's Mm. gonna buy anything but like how often are like do you see like short story collections of somebody else or an actual like anthology of people like a good short story is like that's some of my preferred reading yeah, I don't, I don't know, because you, you'd think that short stories would be booming right now, but it just seems like everyone wants serialized, like, long, uh, like, fantasy series and whatnot. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I think Ashley was mentioned, he bitched about that quite often, about uh, he can't find good, like, just short story publications, because even a lot of uh, magazines that I, I've picked up and stuff, like, it's all, like, garbage. They're just not good. Like, people just don't really know how to tell short stories anymore. So, when they submit to these magazines, they're just, they're not, they're almost not worth reading, you know? Yeah. Let alone paying for. Going back, I think we, we could end on this one. If you're going to be honest with yourself, you have to realize that, uh, like, failure is going to just, that's part of the, the job here. You're going to fail a lot, probably. But a lot of people, what they do is they either, one, they have, like, the delusional thinking 
These are the people you used to see on American Idol who were awful singers, no. but would just go in and fucking ham it out and just be like, take, waste everybody's time. No, I don't suck. You guys suck. You just don't know talent. Like those kind of people. You get that in the writing world a lot where people do not want to admit that they're just not that good. Uh, and sometimes you have to admit to yourself that maybe I should just hang it up and just do something else. That or if you're writing, you're just doing it for yourself. Level as, down, yeah. As, as like, you know, there's you like, can put it out for people to read, but don't yeah. expect people to buy it. Mm-hmm. Or just you know, like, like, I just like sitting at my keyboard typing these stories. If I never do anything with them, you know, that's yeah. fine. But uh, real quick, what I wanted to throw in there whenever you was talking about the failing thing, the real fucked up part about that is like, even after you have had successes, failure's still just right around the corner all the time in this business. It's Well, the way I always look at it is failing doesn't make you a failure any more than succeeding makes you successful. You can have a string of hits. You can One year, you could fucking submit five stories to five magazines and sell them all. And be like, holy shit, I'm doing great. You can sell your first novel and it becomes a bestseller and you're on top of the world. That doesn't mean that's sustainable. That doesn't mean your next novel is going to be great. That doesn't mean the next year you're going to get 10 stories published. You just, Yeah, you have to be able to understand that the, it's almost like a thing of luck sometimes. Right. And, and what's like the old adage is that a failure is just practice for success or something like that? Yeah, like you, you're going to fail a lot. Um, I mean, we talk about Stephen King's nailed on the wall rejection letters. Right. And, uh, everyone has stories like that for the most part. What it was it? We always say uh, overnight success, ten years in the making. Yeah, right? an overnight success that took ten years in the making, or yeah. something like that. You have to be honest with yourself and understand that you're gonna fail a lot, and that doesn't make you a failure. And even if you start to do well, that doesn't necessarily mean you're successful. Now you don't want to give yourself the whole imposter syndrome and be like, you know, I'm sure Stephen King's not out there going, I'm not really this good. Like, <laughs> I don't think he gives a fuck at this point. He know he knows his stuff sells, but. I don't know. I, I like to think that sometimes, sometimes he has to finish and sure he's like, I don't know. Are they still going to buy this one? Like, is this going to be the one where they're like, oh, he's lost it. He's I, done. Because at that point, after having that big recruit, that's what I would worry about. Oh, this is the one. Yeah. This is the one where we where he finally starts to fall off. Like, Well, Hemingway's a great example because he was the literary master for so long on top of the world. And then he put out the one book that everyone just fucking hated. I don't even remember the name of it. This is the one Hemingway book I haven't read. And everyone said, oh, well, he's done. Old man Hemingway, he's finally, you know. Because back then, apparently, you just like, oh, one bad book, you're done. You're, you oh, shit yeah. the bed. And uh, people were a lot less forgiving. Well, and then, too, just what you'd have to do to put a book out back then. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, everyone was off the Hemingway train at that point. And he had two things he could do. One, he could just sulk in his failure and drink himself to death. And he started to do that. Mm. But then he said, hey, I'm fucking Hemingway. I'm still good. I still got something to say. And then he wrote Old Man the Sea and won a fucking Nobel Prize. So I was going to say, he did a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can uh, you, you can be successful and still fail, and you could fail and end up successful. It's just, uh, you know, fail your way to the top is the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. I like to fail my way right to the top. So in summation here, honesty is the best policy in regards to yourself, Spencer. Uh, you have to be able to admit when you're wrong. You have to be able to fucking toss your ego aside because that's one thing that like kills a lot of people is once they hit a successful period or they get a big fan base on Twitter or whatever it is, their ego runs amok and they think they're the fucking you know, next best thing and nobody could tell them otherwise. And then all of a sudden you see them fucking you know, fighting women in karaoke bars in Hawaii. Like you just, 
You can't let the success get you. Catch me. <laughs> it's not that fast. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh so anyway, folks, <laughs> I don't want to drag this out anymore because I have to edit all this, and I'm getting tired of editing. So I thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us uh, at drunkenpenwriting at gmail dot com. Um, I don't know if I ever say that because we do have a contact page on our website where we also have our fiction, uh, drunkenpenwriting dot com. You can check out the memes we post on Twitter and other social media uh, applications uh, if Elon Musk hasn't bought them all yet. Uh, Twitter at Drunk Pen Writing, Instagram and Facebook at Drunken Pen Writing, uh, Spencer's OnlyFans, oh good lord. The Chunky Chumba Wumba from Chad? Was that it? Something like that. I don't even know that's going to fit in your username. What does that even mean exactly? <sighs> you know what that means? You have to this, You have to subscribe to find out. Yeah, subscribe to find out, folks. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You <laughs> no. Don't don't even look it up. It's not worth it. I don't even know how to spell Chumba Wumba. Uh, so thank you for listening and uh, enjoy this bass music. See you later. Thank you.